Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Today on Core Principles, I'm very honored to have the opportunity to interview a true leader who has written many books on the topic of leadership. His latest book, called Revolutionary Leadership, focuses on the men and women who worked together in miraculous fashion to form this nation we call the United States of America. The author and my guest today, Pat Williams, has had an amazing career and impactful life. In addition to being a prolific author of over a hundred books, Pat Williams played minor league baseball and moved into leadership roles in that sport and then shifted his attention to basketball, joining the Philadelphia 76ers as their business manager. He had a knack for organizing events, and he raised the attendance for the 76ers dramatically and caught the attention of the Chicago Bulls, who hired him as their general manager. He was also GM for the Atlanta Hawks and then for the Philadelphia 76ers. And his leadership brought the 76ers up from the basement all the way to being NBA champions. But then Pat Williams co-founded the Orlando Magic, and had over 30 years with that organization. So he is correctly recognized as one of the most influential people in the history of the NBA, and is not merely in their Hall of Fame, but also is one of their Lifetime Achievement Award winners. So Pat Williams is an inspirational leader, and one of the best ways to get to know him is by reading his books. I highly recommend his latest called Revolutionary Leadership, and that's the topic today. Pat Williams, thank you so much for speaking with me today on Core Principles. How are you doing? Clay, I'm doing very well. It's uh, nice to catch up with you, and uh, I look forward to our visit. Thank you. Well, you've written so many books, and a lot of them do highlight other great leaders like Vince Lombardi, Bobby Bowden, Chuck Daly, and others. But I especially like this newest one, Revolutionary Leadership, focusing on our founders. What inspired you to write this book at this time? Clay, I've got many interests in life, but uh, two of them are American history. Uh, my dad was a high school history teacher in Wilmington, Delaware, and so I grew up in, in that kind of atmosphere at home. My mother was a true patriot, uh, living near Philadelphia. Off we would go many times to go visit Independence Hall and the Betsy Ross House and so many places to see, including Valley Forge. So I grew up in that atmosphere. And then the other big interest that developed later is this uh, art of leadership. And so the thought was, if we could study how this country came into being, uh, who were these men and women? Uh, what, what can we learn about leadership from them? Why did this country even come into being? What was the difference between our efforts and the efforts of mighty Great Britain? Fascinating. So we dove in and uh, uncovered these leaders, 25 of them, and you know, we look at them individually. And then at the end of each chapter, uh, we list leadership lessons, leadership principles that we can take from them and uh, incorporate in our own lives as leaders. So I, I guess it's a teaching book, but it's also a history book. And uh, we had quite a time putting it together. Well, it's really uh, a great study book as well, uh, like you mentioned, a teaching book. It would seem odd for me to start with the epilogue in our discussion today, but I want to frame our talk about your book with that because your epilogue really affected me. You not only summarize all those important lessons that you had highlighted throughout, but 
you also issue very serious and sincere challenges to the readers in that epilogue. And one of the conclusions that you offer, I'm going to quote, you say, the more that I have studied, the more I realize the United States of America is an absolute miracle. Would you explain to the listeners why that is so? Well, let's go back in time. Uh, for 150 years, uh, Great Britain had been the overseer uh, of these little colonies over here on the, in the New World. They were the greatest power on Earth. However, uh, as we move along, they began to do things that upset uh, these little colonies, particularly in the area of taxation. Uh, they began to tax just about everything. And it came to a head with the tax on tea. Tea was a big deal then. Still is today. I can't live without iced tea. Uh, but back then, uh, boy, it was a big deal. And so uh, we all are familiar with the Boston Tea Party, how that tea was dumped into the harbor, the Boston Harbor. And boy, that set off Great Britain. And Clay, they had better everything. They had more soldiers, better trained. Uh, they had a they had the most powerful Navy on earth. We didn't have a Navy. Uh, they had uh, weaponry. Uh, their soldiers were well-dressed. Ours weren't. They were well-fed. Ours weren't. We just were hanging on by a thread, actually. But, but Clay, there was one thing that we had better than the British, and that was leadership. As it turns out, we, we had the best leaders. And, and in George Washington, we had the indispensable leader. He was far from perfect. Uh, he made his share of mistakes. But for eight years, he, he led our war effort. Never left the troops for those eight years. He was totally involved, totally committed. Uh, he had a vision of a new nation, independent of Great Britain's rule. Well, all the founding fathers had that vision. A new nation, independent of Great Britain's overseeing and domination and the ability to tax. And so for eight years, that war went on and, and Great Britain had so many times that they could have squashed us and, and just eliminated us early on. But they, they, they didn't. And we kept hanging in there, just hanging in there and, and, and one battle after another. Listen, Washington lost more battles than he won, but, but we didn't quit. And we had this, this terrific leadership. And so we featured them. No, I don't, I, I, we may have missed some. I'm, we probably did. But, but we featured the big names and then some that weren't really known. And uh, without them, we don't win the war. Yes, sir. And I'm going to ask about a few of those in particular that I didn't know much about until I read your book. But I really love uh, how you challenge us all to step up to leadership. And you particularly note that we need right now moral leadership. You use a word picture that really stuck with me. You said just as a fish in water doesn't know it's wet today, we're unaware of a lot of the horrors and obscenities that we tolerate without thinking. And I had two questions about that first. As we tolerate things without thinking about them, how do we best remove our blinders, Pat, that we can see these wrongs that we need to make right? Well, Clay, I, I'm with you all the way. I'll tell you what uh, the, uh, is the most upsetting thing to me. Uh, my happy spot in life is a Barnes & Noble. Uh, when I want to get happy, uh, that's where I head. But I am so alarmed by the, by the title of, of, of numbers of books 
foul titles, four-letter words, uh, right there on the front cover, and some of our bestsellers. Where did that come from? Mm. How did that happen, that these, these profane words are featured on the cover of books in bookstores? I mean, if you've got eight-year-old grandkids, it's probably best not to take them to the bookstore. It is sad. That's just a, that's just a small example. But play character counts. Character counts, particularly in leadership. If you're, if you're not honest and have integrity and take responsibility, uh, if you don't have a humble spirit, if you don't work hard and persevere, if you don't have maturity, uh, tough, to, tough to elevate on the leadership ladder without, without, with those character qualities missing. So uh, I, I, I think back to Norman Schwarzkopf years ago, Norman Norman made this statement. He said, there are two vital ingredients in leadership. He said, strategy and character. And then he said, if you have to do without one, he said, do without the strategy. Yes. And he went on to add, he said, um, he said, the greatest problem I see is a breakdown of character in leadership. He said, that seems to be the trigger point with so many problems with leaders who do not exemplify character. And one of the things that moral leaders would have to try to overcome is the second question I had about that is how do we deal with the fact that the world may oppose our efforts to right certain wrongs? Well, Clay, that's a, that's a deep question, really, really deep question. And I don't know that I've got a, a quick answer for you, but I think it starts in the home. Uh, that's where youngsters really get their uh, slant on life. Uh, it takes uh, parents, grandparents, um, aunts and uncles uh, to be constantly, constantly in inputting into children, young people. It takes teachers, it takes coaches, it takes youth workers. You know, all of these people uh, need to be investing in their young people. And, uh, and teaching them leadership principles, but above all, teaching them the importance of strong character. Solomon had it right, of course. Clay, I've, I've, listen, I, I, I realize this with my children and other young people. If people doubt your word one time, you're in trouble. If they doubt it twice, uh, you've had it. You probably had it. And if you're an adult, you're going to have to pack up and move halfway across the country and start all over again and hope nobody finds out. Mm. That's how honesty and integrity. Now, you, you're talking about also how important it is to train up uh, youth the right way. And your book uh, is part history lesson. It's really important. It's really uh, a great book I would recommend for, uh, for children, for high schoolers and college kids particularly. But your book is teaching true history lessons and there are books out there now teaching revisionist history for foul purposes. And you mentioned one by a man named Howard Zinn. This one, you, you reference uh, a person who I've interviewed on this very program. That was Roger Kimball who said of Zinn's book called the people's history of the United States, that it is probably done more to poison the minds of high school students than any other work of history. So Pat Williams, why, are some Americans so vigorously opposed to our own country? And how can we counteract that poison? Isn't, isn't it awful, you know, and, and uh, are not proud of our country, not proud of being an American person, the greatest nation on earth? 
Yeah, we have our faults. All countries do. But we're still the greatest nation that's ever existed on the face of the earth. And it's terribly upsetting to me uh, to see people who are trying to tear down. Yes, they should be honest in, in reporting uh, what went on to the best of their ability. Uh, but to, to, to take a negative slant and uh, be totally detrimental about it, boy, that's wrong. And so hopefully our book, uh, as people read it, they're proud. They're proud of George Washington. And they're proud that Thomas Jefferson was such a great writer. And they're proud that Patrick Henry is, was such a great orator. And they're proud that little feisty John Adams uh, really kind of was the conscience of the whole thing. Uh, he, he could be difficult at times, but he also had, um, had some real wisdom. And then we get into the, uh, the, the key people that came from overseas, Lafayette. I love the Lafayette story. And um, Baron von Steuben, marking out orders, teaching our young men at Valley Forge how to march and how to hold a weapon and how to fire a weapon. Interesting characters. And, uh, and then uh, General Henry Knox. I love the Henry Knox story bookseller, 21 years old, and, uh, and the fighting Quaker, Nathaniel Green from Rhode Island. What, once you get into these people and really start studying them, you'll, you'll get infected and, and you'll, get, uh, you'll be really, really proud, I think, uh, of, of what these men and women did back in that Revolutionary War time. And, and without them, as I've said before, Clay, uh, I don't think we have a country. I, I think it's pretty simple. I don't know that we exist as an independent nation in the greatest democracy that the world has ever seen. There were, till then, Howard, uh, Clay, there were no democracies. Everything was ruled by emperors, kings, and despots, you know. But here we come, and, and we want a government of the people, by the people, for the people. Unheard of. And they recognized the only authority as God. Uh, that's so yes. radical and so true. Uh, it's great. Yeah, no, no, no country had ever seen that before. So um, uh, I, I hope people uh, get into the book. I hope they read initially one chapter and say, "Ooh, who's next? I, I want to learn about the next person. I want to learn about the the next man or the next woman." Well, I want to ask you about a few of them in particular. There are so many great anecdotes that you have in there, and you you touched on a few. Uh, you mentioned. Nathaniel Green, and you, you call him in the book one of the most underrated generals ever. What did he do for this nation, and what is something that you would have us know, uh, listeners who maybe don't know about Nathaniel Green? Uh, give us a, a nugget about General Green. First of all, well, li- listen, uh, he grew up as a Quaker. Quaker. Quakers did not go to war. and They were pacifists. Uh, but Nathaniel Green uh, broke from his training and uh, became a key, key leader for Washington. Washington could turn to him. Here's the thing I like about Green and give him any assignment, uh, whether it was beneath Green's status or not. During, during the whole Valley Forge problem, he, he put him in charge of the issues of food and housing. Well, that was beneath the role of a general. Green took it on and, and, and helped solve that problem. Uh, 
Then when the war moved south, when uh, the, the English began to think, you know, we're not making any headway up here in the Northeast, so let's go south. And well, Washington sent Green down there to do the combat. And Green got involved in many battles. The, the, the one I particularly in, uh, like to study is the uh, Guilford Courthouse. That was a big one right near Greensboro. And by the way, Greensboro, North Carolina is named after? General Green. He had a big impact and he died young, unfortunately, uh, after the war. But uh, you've got to really get a good handle on Nathaniel Green. He, uh, uh, without him, I don't know that we prevail, particularly in the South. And you also uh, talk about a lady named Sybil Lettington. You call her the female Paul Revere. I was really thrilled by her adventure story and the way that you told it. Would you summarize her episode for us? It was exciting. Well, she was 16 years old. And and the war is, you know, is uh, getting the word out about uh, the British and where the British are and what the British are doing. And this young lady gets on a horse, dark at night. I can't even imagine this. Had to be terrified. But off she goes to warn uh, other communities that uh, the British are coming. Get ready. They're coming. And, and, and Simple doesn't get the play that Paul Revere did and his majestic ride. But Simple's ride was every bit as important. It's a powerful, powerful story of this young lady who is so brave. I think that's one of the qualities that comes through with most of these people. Uh, they, they had courage. Uh, they were they were they had to put bravery on the line, and and do some just risky things. Their lives were at risk. Listen, Clay. The entire group that signed that Declaration of Independence they knew that if they this didn't work, they would be classified as traitors, and they'd probably all be hung. It was Benjamin Franklin who made that famous statement, uh, if we don't hang together, we will hang separately, said the, the great Benjamin Franklin. By the way, we do a chapter on him. And what did, uh, what did Franklin bring? Experience. And he brought wisdom. And he reminded the people that, and then that one famous statement about the importance of not neglecting God in this whole thing. You know, we must... We must be aware that God rules. Um, so that was that was an important part of this whole thing. Yes, I, I really love the sort of oration that Franklin gave when he convinced them that they they ought to appeal to God for help, and uh, it just changed everything for the better. Uh, cynics would say, "Well, they tabled that and." didn't uh, vote on it at the time. It's only because they didn't have money to pay a chaplain, but they, they did pray and it made all the difference. Well, Pat Williams, you highlight practical lessons throughout the book uh, after each one of these uh, 25 individuals that you talk about. And you conclude with a description of what you call the uh, seven sides of leadership, vision, communication skills, people skills, character, competence, boldness, and a serving heart. But what would you say to people who might doubt themselves or, or who would tell you, uh, well, Pat, I just don't have the kind of leadership skills that I see in others. What would you say to encourage people? Uh, about a year ago, Clay, we wrote a, another book called The Reluctant Leader. And, 
and so many uh, men and women in different slots are reluctant to step up and lead. But that's not uh, that's nothing new. Uh, we know about Moses way back and how reluctant he was to lead and all the excuses he gave to God about why he couldn't do it. Well, he, he finally plunged in and we recognize Moses today as one of the greatest leaders in the history of the world. Uh, my, 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 my statement would be, you can do it because everybody is a leader. If you're a husband, you're a leader. If you're a wife, you're a leader. If you, if you are parents, well, guess what? You're leaders. If you're grandparents, oh, yes, you're leaders. I tell teachers, you're not just teaching. You're teaching instruct. You're instructing on how to lead. And same with coaches. Youth workers. Uh, we're all in the leadership business, Clay. And so those, in my study of leadership, my, my own experiences, uh, my, my study of all the great leaders in the history of the world, uh, I come away convinced that they all possess seven ingredients of leadership. Jesus uh, had all seven when you study Jesus in the New Testament as a leader. And he was a great leader, greatest leader the world's ever seen. Uh, he had those seven sides. So let me summarize it for you. Seven things one must do to be a leader right and true. Have vision that is strong and clear. Communicate so they can hear. Have people skills based in love and character that's far above. The competence to solve and teach and boldness that has fearless reach. A serving heart that stands close by to help, assist, and edify. Swindater, longtime NBA center, is also a great poet, put that together for me. Knowing of my love of leadership and my study of leadership, and that really summarizes what it takes to be a great leader, those seven ingredients. And when you study the best leaders of all time, you'll notice that, that all seven are there in some form. So uh, at the end of the book, we did, we did just want to kind of tie the knot and, and show people uh, and, and, and encourage them uh, to step up and lead. You can do it. Uh, the world needs leaders in every area, and uh, our country hinges on the rise and fall of leadership. Everything hinges on that. So uh, I tell people to lead on, lead on, my friends, lead on. That is encouraging. I think uh, it would be really good. I hadn't planned to ask you this, Pat Williams, but would you give us an anecdote from your own uh, story, maybe your time during the NBA? It's the it's the championship uh, round right now uh, going on, Phoenix versus Milwaukee. And I won't ask you who's going to win, but you had challenges to overcome in your career. Would you tell us about one that seemed really daunting and how you maybe applied these uh, seven sides of leadership to overcome something that you thought, how are we going to deal with this? Well, Clay, I, I had, I had uh, spent 12 years in Philadelphia as the general manager of the 76ers from 70, 1974 to 86. Uh, but I was getting restless. And in that process, I had met a, um, a man, a business leader down here in Orlando. Uh, this would be the mid-80s. And uh, he was convinced that Orlando could uh, be an uh, NBA basketball city, even though it was not that big a market at the time. 
And he kept working on me. He said, uh, if you'll come down and head this up, he said, I'll, I'll push forward with ownership and getting a building built, but you got to come and do it. So he convinced me to come down, leave my roots in Philadelphia and come down here, you know, I mean, with the biggest assignment imaginable, trying to convince this community uh, who'd never had major league sports back then, uh, there was no arena. Um, there was no history of basketball. And yet, uh, here I was challenged to try and rally the community and then, and then convince the NBA uh, putting in an expansion team in Orlando would be a good thing. Uh, it was quite a challenge, the biggest leadership challenge I ever had. But I learned through that the importance. That's when these seven sides of leadership really came into being. Uh, the vision part, I had to convince uh, this community or help convince this community that uh, we had a vision of a new basketball team and uh, we had this beautiful arena on the drawing boards and it was all vision. I, I began to describe uniforms. And we had a nickname. We didn't have a team, but we had a nickname. And, and, and then I learned the importance of communicating it. You could have a great vision, uh, but if, if you don't communicate it well, uh, nothing's going to happen to that vision. Uh, and I learned how to communicate this vision of a new team. I learned about the importance of people skills. Uh, no leader can do things by themselves. You've got to have a team of, around you. You've got to good, have good people that you're associated with. Uh, and we began to gather good people. And then I learned about character. We talked about it, but it's so vital in leadership. Competence the competence of solving problems and the competence of spotting talent, uh, the competence of being a good teacher. And that requires, by the way, of being a good learner. And then boldness. Nothing happens without a bold leader. Uh, you've, every organization needs a decider because without deciders, nothing happens. And then I learned the importance of, of having a serving heart. Uh, reminding myself constantly, this is not about you. It's about this community. It's not about uh, building my resume. It's about uh, advancing the career goals of uh, the city of Orlando and all the people that live here. And uh, it was not about my own success, but the success of the people I'd hired. And, uh, and so uh, I learned so much about leadership through that experience back in 86, 87, 88, in that period, when we were getting this whole thing started. So that would be an example where, where uh, leadership really came to the forefront for me. Well, that is a big one, and none of our listeners are likely to tackle a project quite like that, but we can all apply that lesson and those lessons in things that we're facing that uh, we maybe need to convince somebody to try to help us with something. Uh, I'm part of a service organization, Rotary Club. Uh, we've just started a new Rotary year uh, with the motto that we serve to change lives. So that's inspiring, and, and that's the kind of thing that you looked at there. The, the city of Orlando is different now uh, because of that, and we, we see the fruit of what you did. So that's, that's really good. I appreciate that inspirational lesson, Pat Williams, and I thank you so much for joining me on Core Principles. It's been my great honor to have this opportunity to speak with you. And I, I love the book. I highly recommend everybody get a copy of Revolutionary Leadership by Pat Williams. Great gifts, uh, particularly, as I mentioned, for high schoolers and college students. Uh, 
terrific true stories of inspirational leaders. Thank you, Pat Williams, and God bless you. Clay, thanks a million. So wonderful to visit with you. Take care now. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.